Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. has now been around for three seasons and coaches everywhere are saving time and being more efficient when it comes to scout cards. Coach Robinson from Texas says, the thing I most enjoy is the ease of access to all the scout cards and how I can draw on them if I need to make any changes. Every coach that uses it says that it is so great to use. If you and your staff are tired of the old ways of preparing and using scout cards, check out thecoachpad.com to start enjoying scout team and making the 2023 season better than ever. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Um, today we have Coach Dante Barti. He is the defensive coordinator at Ottawa University. Um, Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? I'm, I'm doing good. I can't complain. Uh, like I said, we both just got done with our Thanksgiving, our, all of our family stuff. So, um, But just in case, I, and I ask everybody to guess this, um, in case somebody has lived under a rock for the past two years and doesn't know your background, um, how did you end up as the DC at Ottawa? Okay. Um, you know, I started coaching ball when I was 17. I got a brain injury in my freshman year of high school. Um, I'm from Arizona. I coached a place called Perry High School, which is a, a 6A high school, 4,000 students in uh, Chandler, Arizona. Uh, from there, I was a defense coordinator there at about 19 years old. Um, for that, I was an assistant, I was a student assistant, and then I was assistant, then I became a coordinator. was there while I went to Arizona State, where I got my undergraduate degree. And then once I got done with there, I think it was four years. Um, my first stop was at a place called Upper Iowa University, which is D2 school in Fayette, Iowa. I was a linebacker's position coach there. Um, from there, I was, uh, I got the opportunity to go to Cal Berkeley. Um, was a GA at Cal Berkeley, one year as linebackers, one year as uh, D-line. I uh, went from Cal Berkeley to Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, um, where I was the defensive analyst, uh, QC there. Um, and I helped coach the the linebacker slash defensive line again. Um, and then this this year, um, I got the opportunity to come up to Ottawa, uh, where I'm the defense corner and defensive backs coach. So it's been a, a whirlwind of a time, but, um, you know, it's been been a really good experience so far for me. I'm young in my career, and I think uh, all the experience has been really beneficial. Good. And, and and we'll talk some of your stuff. Like, I mean, it's no secret that you're – um uh man uh, primarily man match but i mean you run some you run bracket stuff um you you yeah i mean you've spoken on ripple is bracket you've spoken on a bunch of stuff run fits i mean like i said it's not i mean i was watching some of your run fit stuff the other day um but kind of before we get to that like i mean you've obviously i mean as you kind of just said you've been able to bounce a couple of different places what did you especially yeah. from your time at cal and southern miss what did you kind of pull from those experiences to prep for uh, the opportunity at Ottawa uh, as the DC. Yeah. So the first thing I, I 
will say is that I didn't know how to coach D-line. You know, I thought I knew how to coach D-line uh, when I was coaching high school ball. And then I got to uh, Cal Berkeley and a guy by the name of Andrew Browning, who's still the D-line coach there, who's a Dave Aranda guy. He really taught me the Pete Jenkins style defensive line play. I really learned the biomechanics, the eye control, those things uh, of defensive line play in a way I had never done before. Um, I can tell you that was probably the biggest growth I had from like a three or four year period of coaching. Um, I was always coaching either the back end or the linebackers before that, you know, and there's always this kind of misnomer that, you know, uh, D-line coaches are like kind of butt your head against the wall guys. And I learned that was not the case. Um, so that's probably the first thing from Cal. Second thing I would say is um, I learned how to kind of put things in different buckets. Uh, the system we ran at Berkeley um, was very much like a family style system. So the way in which we called things was based on certain families and those had certain principles that allowed me to kind of conceptualize as a coordinator, what buckets I wanted to put things in to provide system continuity. So the kids understood the language. So you've heard any of my, my stuff about task, tackle and strategic level thinking, how do you get the kids to translate the tactics to the task? Right. So how do you get them to understand and play at a high level just because you have the perfect call on if they can't execute it right because you don't teach it right. You don't have a methodology to communicate it. That's a problem. So I learned how to do that probably uh, uh, the best for out of the places I've been. And then organizationally, I got the opportunity to be a part of a power five program um, in the Pac-12 and something I had never done before in a place I'd never done it. And play against high level football. And that was a really, really good for me. Um, when I moved to Southern Miss, you know, I think one of the biggest things I learned was how to become a leader of men in a different way based on who you're dealing with. Very different atmosphere from Berkeley to, to Hattiesburg. Um, very different way in which you confronted players. One of the things I talk a lot, a lot about is positive versus negative confrontation. You're always going to have confrontation with players. You're always going to have confrontation with people, right? It's how you do it. And can you do it in a positive way that's constructive? That doesn't mean that you're, you're uh, being soft, right? You can certainly have urgency in what you do. You can have uh, grit and mentality and edge to what you do. But it's the way in which you communicate what needs to get done at a high level. That is what's important, right? Not just, you know, yelling and screaming at a kid, the yelling and screaming at a kid. That's not coaching, right? And so I learned how to have those positive confrontations. I learned how to lead and organize. I had to do a lot of different things at Southern Miss as the analyst, um, you know, everything from being the leader of the breakdown, right, and leading my, my support staff to, you know, helping coach the defensive line um, in certain scenarios and linebackers to managing practice and organization. You know, I learned all of those things I think you need to do to be a good coordinator that you don't think about on the, on the front end from an organizational structural standpoint um, so that you can be efficient and effective um, as a, as not only just a play caller, right. But as a leader of an organization, and I think that's probably one of the biggest things I learned uh, is how to be a leader of an organization at a high level consistently um, and then how to confront players in a way that gets a point across is urgent, still means something, but can still be positive. Right. And positive, like I said, doesn't always mean hunky dory doesn't mean you might not swear. That does not what it means. It means it's constructive. It has a point to it. Right. And there's a reason in which we're having this conversation. If we're not having for a reason, there's no reason to have it. 
you know, and negative confrontation tends to be about uh, the player, not the problem, you know, and so those type of different learning styles, I think were really important to me. And then I also learned probably more about run fit mechanics. Like I, I structurally learned a lot more about run fit mechanics, I think at Southern Miss than I did at Burke. Um, and so I was able to put some of the run fits that we did into particular buckets, which was, I think, really, really good. Now, now, why do you think that is that you, I mean, you're, I mean, you were able to learn run fits or the mechanics of the run fits, let's phrase it that way, at Southern Miss better than Cal. Is it because of your position and where you were? I mean, the difference between a GA and a quality control coach. Um, is it just because of the opportunities you had there and the control you had? Is it? something different why why were you able to yeah you know you know my first year i i uh i was the ga for the linebacks uh linebacks coach now the defense coordinator peter sermon who's a fantastic football coach at cal berkeley a fantastic coach and the methodology teaching was just different right so when i say i probably learned more about run fits i learned how to structure the run fits to match the principles in which we were running at southern miss probably better than I did at Berkeley. He had his own methodology and it, it is fantastic. It's just different from the methodology that we use at Southern Mississippi. It's and what we did at Southern Miss is more inclined to what I do now, right? Um, I was so it was good to learn kind of different methodologies that way. Um I would say the one at Berkeley was much more NFL-esque. And you think about the offenses they play. They play people like Washington, who used to be a big 12-21 team, right? They teach teams like Oregon State, 12-21. You play teams like Oregon, that's been 12 forever, right, until, you know, this last year. You play those type of teams. You play Stanford's of the world. You play those teams, and the method of teaching is not the same, you know? And so he was geared towards that methodology, very much NFLS, that I really enjoyed. And then we get to to Berkeley or to Southern Miss, I'm sorry, and it's much more 11. It's much more um, – 10 the eye control is different because of what we were playing and how we were playing it um between the two systems and so i got an opportunity to kind of um, broaden my horizons in that way okay now also from the i mean we just mentioned run fit but from a coverage perspective how much were you able to pull from both those places because obviously from a run fit perspective there's a difference but there's also coverage differences and, and yeah and all um, that's based off who you're playing so how much were you able to pull coverage wise because like it's like i said earlier it's no secret that you're a bracket and then also a, a big cover one man match and ripple is guy so how much were you able to pull and how much did that alter or improve or make cause you to reevaluate at both those places yeah, you know, we were very different system-wise. Like, we had some, we had similarities and differences, right? And a lot of that came from the coaching trees. The the Wilcox tree is, is, is part of that Dave Aranda-style tree, and even prior to that. And so very much, uh, and my defense coordinator, Tim DeRuiter, comes from that tree as well. Very much uh, creeper, simulated pressure-oriented, a lot of cover three, a lot of um, what some people call burn today. So like what the NFL does with their version of cover three, um, you know, um, a lot of single high defense. And then when we played our quarters, it was a lot more um, zone, zone match oriented at Berkeley. So um, that was very different than where we were at Southern Miss. Southern Miss, we were much more of a 
a saving style of system. And so that provided us an opportunity to do a little bit more of the things that, you know, to be honest, I was probably more comfortable with, you know, there are things I took from Berkeley that I never thought I would simply because I don't think I was necessarily as comfortable with them, particularly um, some of the, the way we, we matched different NFL style passing game, because we saw that at, in, in the PAC 12, where we didn't see that nearly as much, if at all, uh, you know, in our group of five conference, we were in Conference USA at the time. And so, you know, I think that was part of it, you know, comfortability, you know, that took some some getting used to. Um, but I think, you know, I, I can tell you right now that I learned a ton about handling some of the the bigger uh, full field passing game concepts in the Pac-12 than I did uh, at Southern Miss, at Southern Miss, it was much more of your your traditional offenses, right? When you think of traditional 11, 10, you know, sometimes 12 personal oriented offenses and college style passing games, you know. And so we were much more of a, a close coverage denial of all defense simply because that's the methodological background in which both the coordinator and myself had come from. Okay. Now, kind of moving on, like, obviously – when we talked a little bit before you got uh, before we started, you got hired late May, mid to late May, and then you didn't get on in, out there till almost August. How did that alter um, your your install process and what you were bringing coming into the year? Obviously, mm-hmm. it, I, I mean, I've been, I mean, a lot of us in there to listen to this or myself personally. Like, you get somewhere late. You don't necessarily have a spring or a summer where you can mess mm-hmm. around with stuff and whether it be meetings or just sending stuff like in general. So how did that affect how you approach install for this fall compared to what you're going to do this upcoming season? Uh, yeah, volume, right? The amount of volume in which you could handle, um, you know, I had to really pare down how much variation we were going to do within this system uh, and so, you know, maybe I couldn't install nearly as much of a certain coverage concept or a certain front mechanic that I wanted to, you know, and then the other thing I was really, really a stickler on that I think helped us throughout the year was our eye control and the way we play our eye control is really, really important. Uh, it's probably the most important thing that we do. Um, and so I was a stickler going in because I didn't know what I was going into and I didn't know who I was going to be working with necessarily uh, making sure that not only did we install it, but we installed it right, you know, from an eye control perspective, from a footwork perspective. And, you know, I think that helped us in the long run. So we were a little slower on the front end than maybe we will be going into the spring um, in terms of install. But, you know, I think it helped us on the back end because we could have we knew what to do. Right. And then uh we're very game plan oriented defense and all that means you know some people hear game plan oriented like oh you're drawing stuff in the dirt no that's not the case you're using the system at hand deciding what tools you need within that system or what adjustments need to be made within like that you already obtain that already have you've already practiced to use for a given week right so the kids don't have this kind of like coach do we have everything going on this week and, and, and it locks them up they can't provide you you can't provide them with the shortcuts necessary right and so you know for me because we were game plan oriented that way that allowed me to add calls without adding concepts right and so we since we are concept oriented operation where it's not i'm calling cover one and that's different than 
uh, cover one rat, and that's different than one cross. Like the principles of man matching high defense remain the same. And then we teach the variables off of that, right? Just because I call, um, you know, in the saving terminology, three for strong side rotation, zone match, single high defense, and then six, which is weak side rotation, zone match, single high defense, doesn't mean it's a different coverage, right? But you got to teach the principles of the defense in order to get that done first. And so, you know, we spent a lot of time on the front end doing that, you know, um, this year, uh, we will spend plenty of time doing that, but that's stuff you do in the spring, right? So that when you get into summer and fall camp, now it's about adding the volume to the system that you feel like you need. And so, you know, I'll be able to hopefully do that and some front and coverage variables. And I, I think it'll help us a good amount. Okay. Now, I mean, you mentioned man match there. And, and like I said, you're, there's no secret that that is, one of your big passions. I mean, you, I mean, I mean, you could just type in your name on YouTube and cover one man match and a lot of that stuff comes up. Like there's no, there's no secret behind that. What, but from a, I'm just curious from an install process, how do you, I mean, obviously college kids are high, different than the high school kids I work with, but um, how do you approach that install progression with the, with college kids um, in terms of your man match, what, what process do you, how do you approach that process? Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say uh, they're different than high school kids. She's like, I taught the same exact principles when I was at Perry high school, you know, a little bit watered down in different ways. And I learned a lot more. So it changed some, but you know, very similar in process. So the way in which we start the methodology of teaching, the reason I start with cover one rat, right. Is because I need the kids to understand terminology of leverage, of eye control in regards to the people that they're covering. So if I started with like zone defense, let's say I start with Tampa two, but I'm going to call brackets next. Well, that doesn't mesh together. The kids are like, we're going to play vision and break defense on the quarterback landmark dropping. And then we're going to go to a defense where we have to look at human beings, cover human beings and leverage routes, right? Not the same, right? And so cover one's the easiest to do while still teaching those principles. You know, we play so much one high um, when it comes to our, our single high principles that whether I'm playing cover three or cover one, I'm playing the same divider rules. So the first thing I teach is dividers. It's the very first thing I teach, you know, and it's no secret the methodology I use is five one bottom because five one bottom is the methodology that I learned. Now, there's some different variables that you could use, but five one bottom is the terms we use to describe the dividers that go down the field because in high school the middle field safety should be able to cover from hash to hash in college it should be covered about two yards outside of each hash you'd like to be able to cover numbers to numbers right and position maintenance is a terminology we use in all of our man match principles on how we leverage how we gain or play to our advantage or play to our help um uh, a particular receiver well that's easiest to understand and cover one first Right. And we use it based on if the receiver runs inside or outside the divider. So the receiver runs outside the divider and play inside and high shoulder. Right. Inside and high shoulder means we're going to be able to get chest to chest with the guys and we're going to get um, chest to chest, face to face, smell their breath, step on their toes and see his far hip. Right. So you see how the strategy gets down to the task. Right? I just took you through the entire process of why do we teach cover one first to the task of what I tell the kid. Right. And then, um, when we play brackets, like if I play a bracket and I want to play a, a vertical bracket on a guy, I use the same terminology because we're covering people and we're playing to particular help. So I say your position maintenance needs to be out, outside and low. You got to steal his steal his wallet, you know, look at his near hip, 
right? Things like that. You know, I, I talk about that at different points in the route. Um, and then the odd control that we do in man match defense, where by the rat takes shallow crossers, he cuts it, right? Stuff like that is very similar to the, what we do in our bracket principles when a guy runs a shallow. And so now you see a merriment uh, of methodology of teaching, of functional mechanics. And so the kids start from the cover one world because it's the easiest for them to understand, right? And I know when I need to play eight-man spacing single gap defense, that's what I'm going to go to. You know what I mean? Um, it also helps us teach in terms of run 50 eye control fitting off of what we call HBs. What are HBs? It's a Bill Williams term. They're human beings, right? We don't fit off of grass. So that's very different than when you play a zone uh, or even sometimes a zone match methodology whereby you might be fitting space. We fit off of people, right? If that guy runs around, you are covering him. You're not reading run pass, right? So, you know, whether we're in a three-on-two funnel, whether we're on a two-on-two, whether we're on a, a two-on-one, you know, we're always fitting off of those people. And that's easiest to teach within the cover one system first. And then we move on to the bracket because then I translate those principles and they, the principles of the defense stay the same. We're just playing split safety. So we take one guy out of the immediate run fit off of the backs and the, uh, the running back and the, the wah, and then we start teaching the bracket principles. So that's how we start, right? We start from cover one and we start with dividers and we start with position maintenance. And then we go through the eye control and the run fit mechanic. Now, my other question with the, the man match stuff is how do you, I mean, because, I'll phrase it this way. How do you structure practice to fit what, what you're doing? Like, cause I mean, I, I, I look, I can look at scheme all day long. That's great. But mm -hmm. I think the, the important things are a kind of, as you point out how you teach it. And I think you've emphasized that a lot in a lot of the talks you've had, but also how you practice it. Cause without those mm -hmm. two things, it doesn't really matter what you know, cause you gotta be able to convey it to your kids and to teach them mm -hmm. and set them up for the skills. So how do you structure a practice when you're primarily your defense is focused on man match principles, a lot of single high principles, how do you structure a defensive practice to accommodate what you need to get done throughout the week? Yeah. So, you know, we do some circuit work, you know, so we're going to work funnels and we're going to work fiddles. We're going to work our three on twos, our two on twos, our one on ones, our two on ones, or, you know what I mean? Our three ways or three on threes. We're going to work those within a closed type of circuit environment. Right. So the kid sees, sees the picture, you know, and I just plug and play who's, who's in what spot. Right. Cause I know different rotations of the defense are going to determine which players are into those spots. So I get a Y and I get a T right. And we work, you know, the backs stay divided, we divide, I got a rat in the hole. The backs uh, stay divided, but it's split zone. We fall back with the uh, what we call the indicator, which is the law, right? Backs divide, we divide, right? And then we get in a two-way. We say, look, it's the same thing. There's just two of you, not three of you, right? We talk about the terminology of pushing and pressing. Then we push horizontally and then press vertically off of our indicator, off of our person, right? Not off of the ball, off of our people. You know what I mean? So we get that into a circuit. We work DBs, we work linebackers, you know, into that circuit. And then we, you know, the other part of the circuit is like, okay, you know, some kids are going to play press man, some players are going to play off man, some kids are going to play uh, catch man, right? Based upon what they're doing. So we're going to work a circuit, a man to man, and the linebackers are going to be in it because they got to play catch man, right? The DBs got to be in it because they're either playing, pre uh, they're either playing press man, 
catch man or off man, you know what I mean? And, or scooch, whatever they're doing. And so we work all those principles. And so we work the same eye control with the same divider rules because it's the same dividers, right? Um, and so we work that into a circuit. And then we work, okay, where we've worked the bottom of the route and what it means to play catch man, now we're going to work the top of the route. And how do we finish, right? How do we match the angle, hip angle of the route? How do we, when his hands go up, my hands go out, cap the hands, right? Don't high five down the hallway, stuff like that. High five down the hallways like this, right? We don't run like this at a receiver. High five down the hallway, right? Stuff like that, right? How do we handle beat deep drill? Everybody's playing man match defense. Every guy who can cover a particular human being is going to do those things. So how do you teach him how to do those things, right? How do you teach him how to hip it and pick it? How do you, how do you teach him how to, you know, center field roll baseball turn? Um, those type of things. How do you make sure they're looking at the near hip or the far hip based on their, their position maintenance? You know, so we work the bottom of the route, which is all the stems and, and all that goes on with the bottom of the route. They're playing press or catch or off. And then we work the top of the route um, slash finish, you know. Um, and then that easily ties into our run fits because once again, like I said, we fit off of people. So we always define like in split safety defense, we define the overhangs in the defense. You probably heard me talk about this all the time. And we use different methodologies based on if they're in or out of the fit. It can be based on the back. They can be both out of the fit. They can both be in the fit. They can be rotational run fits, right? I did like a three hour clinic on mint four and split safety defense on just that, right? Um, and so we go through those mechanics in a drill. You know, I, I teach who the overhangs are, what it means within each principle and split safety defense, and then what we're doing it off of, right? And then our footwork always ties in to our run pass key. So if I am a run first player, I might use a, a concept called a slam step where I slam the door shut, step my feet up to play the run first. If I'm using you know, um, if I'm a pass first player, or some people call it aggressor protector. If I'm a protector, right, I might use a scooch style footwork, right? And so we work those mechanics within the drills that we do. Well, guess what, guys? Everybody can be an overhang because I can have the will linebackers, you know, money backer, Mike, but whatever you want to call him, be an overhang in a, a two read palms principle. He's the overhang in the defense based on where the back is. And then in the three by one, you're playing a stubby, stump, Steelers, Seahawk. It doesn't matter. It's the same overhang principle. And then all of a sudden you're in cover two. It's the squat corners doing the same thing, playing squat footwork. And so each of those guys have to learn those principles of the defense and how it works and when they're doing it. And so we're always reiterating, when are we doing this? Right. And so and why are we doing it? And so we work those things from a circuit perspective. Didn't do that. We did that much early in the year, late in the year. Right. When you get into the actual practices during the season, everything we do is walk through and pattern match like we do walk because our run fit mechanics for us get taken care of a lot when we go good on good. Right. And they can work within our scout periods because it's eye control based. Right. It's eye control based defense. However, the walkthroughs to get us lined up right, the right call, and then our pattern matches are probably the two biggest things. So I'll always have a pattern match period that I run. And then we will do, coach, I've done up to three walkthroughs in a practice. I've done a pre practice walk and I've done two different styles of walkthroughs in a practice. Um, you know, at, uh, at some of the places I did, we did what we called a multi-spot walk. 
right? Mm-hmm. At some places where you have multiple coaches, you know, doing multiple things, you know, I think that's dependent on how much you, you can trust your coaches. I know in high school level, sometimes that can be challenging to make sure they get it right, but you cut, it gives your coaches some ownership so that they are in charge of making sure their portion of that walk is correct. You know what I mean? So what do I mean by that? You might have your defensive linemen work in defensive line technique, right? Or defensive line walkthrough. And with our method of what we do, that requires a lot because we do a lot of different movements. We do a lot of different patterns with our D line, you know, and then on the secondary end, we might, you know, we might split up the linebackers and DBs because you got so many of them. And one coach, you know, is working pure formation walk, right? Pure formation walk, coverage checks. Like we're not moving. We're just making sure that we get lined up. We get the right calls. We're in the right alarms. We've got the right eye control, all that shit. Excuse my language, all that stuff. And then in, you know, the other end, you might be working a pattern match. It could be a walkthrough pattern match, but you're working stacks and bunches. You're working all the stuff that you don't get it. You never get enough time to do. You're doing all that stuff. So we do that stuff, you know, over and over and over again, you know, um, And so we aspire, we strive to be able to create efficiency and ownership within our coaching staff by giving them the ability to do that. You know, I think at the high school level, you know, you got guys, you know, I I had a coach used to say this. I thought he was my high school, one of my high school mentors, you would say this, you got coaches who teach, right? Like football coaches who have to teach because they're, you know, they're in high school. Yeah. And you got teachers who coach, right? You got guys that um, are teachers and you know what? They're coaching football, but you know what? They're going to go coach basketball and they're going to coach, coach track and they're going to go coach golf. And they're going to like, and you know, football season's over, football season's over. That's it. That's fine. You know what I mean? And so within your staff, when you figure out kind of the matrix of leadership and, and the roles in which people play and define them, you can easily determine Okay, which guys are the coaches, the guys, and they may not be the best coaches right now. A lot of times they're the young guys. Why? Because those are guys are a lot of times the ones who have aspirations to go to the next level. You know what I mean? It's the new dude who you want to give him some ownership. So you teach him these principles and you say, now go coach it. Because all your, the only thing your other thing you're doing is working your part-time job at Walmart or you're going to school. So you want to coach, this is what you do. You know what I mean? And guess what? The great thing about it is it's the same thing with GAs. They know nothing better. They know nothing else. They're blank slates, right? So from a leadership perspective, that provides you kind of a framework whereby you decide which coaches are are coaching and which coaches are helping, you know? And I think that's really important from a practice and organizational perspective. You know, I think we, we lose sight of that sometimes because we get all involved in the X's and O's. We get all involved in the Jimmy's and Joe's, the personnel, right? At the cause level, we got recruiting. Um, you forget about the organization and the leadership required in order to run an efficient organization. And I think that's something I would never, ever, ever have picked up. I can tell you I would have picked up um, if I was not in college football at some of the places I've been very different methodology of thought than when I was much younger or about, it's just all about, you know, it's all about the X's and O's, man. And it is, right? When the talent level is this close, when it's close enough, it is about the X's and O's and it is about the coaching. There's no doubt about, it. you know, um, the methodology I use over the, the phrase, 
analogy I use is if we were in an alley and you had a gun and I had my fist, I could be a black belt in karate. I could be like the greatest Kung Fu master ever. And you could have never shot a gun in your life. You could be a child. And the probability of you still beating me in this altercation is fairly high, right? But if you had a knife and I was a Kung Fu master, there would be a, there's a ceiling by which I can beat you. Well, that's how it is. We played the Universal Band when I was at Southern Miss. You know what? You know, we we played our our you know our tail off. There was no way in hell we were gonna beat the Universal Band. It was not gonna happen 10 times out of 10. Right? But you know, we go play um years ago when I was at Upper Iowa University, we played Winona, who's a top 10 team in the country. Our coaching is what won that football game. Yeah. We played Bemidji, top 25 team in the country. Our coaching was what won that football game. Our scheme is what won that football game. That's when it matters, really matters. So those are some of the things I think about from an organizational perspective and a practice perspective. Now, now the other thing I wanted to ask you, because you had experience in Ripple is, and it's it's one of the things I'm, I, I've had people on talk about before and I've done research on it and I'm doing more research this off season on it, just, in, just for just general knowledge. Um, first thing I want to ask you is how – I'm gonna ask you this from Ripple's and I know you didn't play as much of it, really play any of this year just because your time frame and your install schedule and, and yeah. the and the time it takes. But from a high school perspective, because you've done both high school and college at this point, um how do you think um, how I won't phrase this? The pro from a process standpoint, in your opinion, how should high school coaches approach putting Ripple is in at a medium to small school high school yeah so if you're gonna do it like at that level I, I have a guy who's who coaches like lower level high school ball slash youth ball and has done it and has had a lot of success with it if you're gonna do it the first thing you got to do is you got to own it like you got to commit to it like it, it can't be your side thing like you have to commit to being playing Ripley's at that level, because if you're going to do so, you got to be able to handle all the issues that it presents, right? Because it's not a catch-all principle. And you have to understand what those issues are, okay? And it's ironic, because this is very much an NFL-style model, because a lot of NFL teams, they'll play what looks like, you know, their versions of, of cover three or cover one, and they'll do it all the time. I mean, like, why are they always playing this one concept? Well, from a, a teaching perspective and from a practice perspective, all they do is work the issues all day long because they know the coverage. So they just working the, what they know are the issues within the coverage, right? They're just answering the problems that present themselves within the principles that they're running because they know that's what they're going to run. Right. Um, which is the opposite of having like the really big toolbox. And so at the high school level, especially at a small or medium school, like I would say you want a small toolbox that you know, the answers to. Um, so process wise, I would start with cover one. And the reason I'll start with cover one is because I would, you need to teach the principles of dividers. You got to teach the principles of position maintenance. And you got to get a kid to understand how to match a pattern. Okay. And that is easiest in one rat. Because if a shallow happens, they're doing something that's not like straight man-to-man -man cat coverage defense. You got him. You got him. Right. They're not just running with him. They're cutting and roboting and all those type of things. You know what I'm saying? And so because of that, you can teach that first, in my opinion, and you can have success on a building block of the principles by which we cover people, right? 
then when you train and it's single high defense right and then once you once you transition to to rip liz you know i've always been a proponent of starting the old school way which is to start from 21 personnel and every ace tells me why do we start from 21 personnel we don't see 21 personnel it's because of the flow of the coverage is the same thing once you get to your three by one and two by two mechanics and so we teach the areas of the field from that standpoint so you know a lot of people probably see the old school uh, michigan state tape that Saban's talked about where it's talking about playing cover three to split backs okay mm-hmm. and if you haven't go to youtube type in michigan state um <laughs> you know Saban, and it'll pop up when he talks about playing cover three cover one and and cut that's what he talks about and box um and so we literally start from that standpoint we start from a split back formation we do a curl flat combination routes and we teach the areas of the field because we've already taught dividers playing cover one right we've always taught what the middle field is and so we go curl flat combination routes okay and we say okay guys when we get this type of flow when the backs divide okay we are gonna drop to the hook and expand in the hook we're gonna drop to the curl we're gonna expand through the curl to the flat when this guy out leverages me yeah right not until then we are, you know, we play, a, some people play a, a double midpoint system. Some people go mod on one side, midpoint on the other side. Some people play mess and midpoint, right? But whatever you're doing, these are the principles in which we do it. So they can understand, okay, I'm reading, for example, I'm two to one on the mid, as a midpoint player. Two eliminates himself. I'm playing mod on number one, right? Mod on number one. One is running a curl. He runs inside the divider. I should play outside low. Well, I should know what outside low stealing his wallet is because I just talked cover one. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm pulled on a string and two or three goes out. I expand through the hook to the curl. I hang in the curl and then I'm going to drive when the ball's thrown, playing top down, stacking the top of the hook, right? We talk about term- our terminology, right? What does it mean to take someone through? What does it mean to stack the top of the zone? What does it mean to shrink and expand? Those type of things we talk about when we start with two back. So the, the things we do is we run the, the all curl concept, right? The curl flat combination route that we've seen since rocks were soft. Then we get in the eye and we go full flow or what some people call flow pass. We go weak flow, which is what some people call web. And then we go backs divide, which is split flow, right? So when we go strong flow or full flow, right, we flood the coverage. We flood the coverage. We got four strong to a side. We got a single X. We flood the coverage. So the curl flat defender pushes to the flat. The curl defender pushes to the curl. Um, The uh, weak hook defender pushes the strong hook. And now we say the strong hook. Some guys like to say the strong hook defender stays at the strong hook player. Now he's attached to three. We don't say it that way. We like to understand that we are pushing the zones over. So for us, the weak hook defender pushes to the strong hook. I've said multiple words. I've said whole, I've said middle hook before, right? I've said strong hook before, right? All of those terminologies for me, it's just dependent on what you want to do. But then he's the three up and back defender. What they call three up is three, Right. Now my weak side curl flat defender, he's gonna he's gonna 
squeeze back, stack the hook, look for the check down to the first crosser. That's the fourth, the first crosser player, right? And then the corner on the backside knows he's going to go from his midpoint to a mess style of technique, right? Like, we do all that on full flow, strong flow, and then we do the same thing on wet, on weak flow. Teach the same methodology, okay? We flood the coverage going the other direction. That's how we do it. Some people don't do it that way, okay? Then we work, okay, they run strong flow, and someone runs under, what do we do, right? Shallow dig. What do we do? You say, under, under, under. If I'm the curl flat defender, because the guy I was relating to is going underneath, I say, under, under, under. And then we're going to robot, which means roll and run, find, drag, or dig, right? With the, the guy who's flooding the zone, which was the weak hook defender. Okay, the fourth, first cross is going to take it back. Squeeze back, stack the hook, look for check down the first cross. That's the first crosser. He's going to take it. Playing top down with zone integrity. Okay. Then we were divide, right? Split, uh, split flow divide boot. Where we robot, roll and run to find the dragon dig with both of our backers. You know, and so we teach all the principles that we do in our zone mass principles out of the two back flow rules. And then the first thing we do. And, you know, most people say, well, go two by two. No, we don't go two by two. We go three by one because we just made it easy on you guys. They were going full flow. Now we just put that guy and put him out there. So now we're flooding the coverage. And if, depending on the rotation is if we call it Mabel or Skate, right? If I got the free safety or some people call him the strong safety, just depending on who you are, right? The, the, the strong side, high safety. If you put him in the hook, we call that Mabel. If we put the other guy on the hook, the weak side guy in the flat, right? We push the backers over right? We call that skate. But it's the same coverage, both flood coverage. You know? And so we teach those principles first. Then we teach, once we get to the three-by-one stuff, because now they already know, oh, I'm the flat defender, I relate to one. I'm the curl defender, strong curl defender, I relate to two. I'm the, I went from the weak hook to the strong hook, I got three up and back. I'm the uh, weak side curl flat defender, I'm fourth to first cross, right? Corner's playing mess, front side corner knows playing midpoint. Shit, we already did this, right? It's easy. It's easy as one, two, three. Then we teach the load, like the load and, and uh, split rules, where if it's four strong, we call it load. If they go four strong, we're going to pass one back, right? If they split, we got to take back the guy we relate to. Well, who do I relate to if I'm in the curl? Number two. I learned that when I learned two back. So who do you relate? I literally tell kids all the time. Like I've gotten kids in high school, like, coach, so who do I take back? I'm like, who are you relating to? And they're like, two. I'm like, okay, so who do you take back? I'm like, two. Like, all right, moving on. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that doesn't happen if you don't teach the, 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 the foundation. If you just like go two by two, ripple smash, this is how it works. Like it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way, right? So then we teach the pass back, take back, right? Um, when we take a guy back, this is when we pass one back. Then we go to two by two. Okay. Then we go to two by two. And two by two, my corners, you know, some people call it mod, some people call it man clue, right? They play man on deep, right? I'm playing man to man on number one unless it runs um, underneath within the first five yards of the down, right? Playing the same position, man, it's a playing cover one. Whether you bail, whether you play off, whether you play press, it doesn't matter, right? My curl flat defenders add a S to them. Yeah. This is where I've gotten better, I think, with some of my teaching, right? So they go from being curl flat defenders to seam curl flat defenders. So now they're going to learn to say, okay, we drop to the seam. 
What's the seam? Well, we learned what the seam was when we learned dividers. The seam is in high school, it's basically the hash. In college, it's two yards inside and outside the hash. Yeah. Right? Like, it's all the same. I drop to the seam, and you ask yourself the question, is number two in the seam? If yes, I carry number two in the seam unless one is short, which I should get a smash call. Yep. Right? I should get a smash call, right? One is short or three is fast. Okay, so if two's in the seam, I'm carrying them in the seam. Well, I'm carrying them with the same position maintenance I did in cover one. Well, instead of having to teach them all the principles of dividers and all of the principles of rip liz and all the principles of cover three first, we taught them cover one first. So now it's like play position, the proper position maintenance of one high defense. Well, they already know to play outside low, the receiver's in the seam. They already know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instead of overloading these kids' minds with like, oh my gosh, right? So once we do that, then we start going into, look, if two's not in the seam, I do the exact same things I did as a curl flat defender. And they're like, coach, what do you mean? What did I do as a curl flat defender if two went out? I expanded in the curl to the flat until two took me to the flat and got out leverage. Okay, moving on. All right, what do I do if two goes under? The guy goes under. I say under, 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 and I squeeze back, stack the hook, look for a check down the first crosser. Okay, moving on. All right. If three's fast, what did we what do we do on flow pass? Uh, flooded the coverage. What is the three fast making a three receiver set? What are we gonna do? Flood the coverage. What are we gonna be? A flat defender. I've done that with high school kids, right? But it was because I foundationally started. Yeah. Right. I foundationally started from the two back world of teaching them the areas of the defense and how we relate to those areas, and then I just added on top of it, instead of. And I start even lower than that with how do we match a pattern? How do we play proper eye control position maintenance in single high defense, regardless of its man or zone? Mm-hmm. And so once I did that, I've just taught the scene curl flat defenders how to play. Yeah. I've taught the corners how to play. Okay. Now let's move on to the hook defenders, right? Well, we taught them how to robot when someone went shallow. We say, okay, okay what do we do? Okay. Number two runs the shallow. I say, look, there are two hook defenders. It's not full flow, okay? Meaning there's not two backs in the backfield. It's a split set, Yeah. okay? So if this guy runs it, if you get an under, under, under call and you're the linebacker to the side of the under, under, under call, you're going to roll by. If you're away from the guy from the under, under, under call, you're going to take him through take the three through that's the final three at the end of the down i gotta take three through right and so i stack the top and now taking three through means i'm taking through top down yeah right not matching him at his level i'm taking the top of the hook well we learned how to play the top of the hook and we did it out two back so they know how to play the top of the hook they know how to stack the hook right and we're gonna shuffle and take him top down and the methodology we use is shuffle shuffle Right, we say shuffle, shuffle. Um, but some people say uh, give ground. Some people say they say all kinds of things. So, so now I've just taught us how to make the three levels of defense once again, which is the, the principle, the strategy that we taught day one as to why we play cover one this way and why we play cover three this way. Because the offense makes three levels. How many three levels do we have to make? Three levels. So I've just taught now the methodologies of Rip Liz. Now I can focus on, right, from there, then you focus on the issues. Okay, fast three, we already talked about it. 
okay? Um, how you decide to defend empty, right? Do you decide to bingo drop and flood the coverage? Do you decide to keep the weak hook and the weak cook? Essentially, what we say is, do we consider it a two-by-two two or three-by-one? That's what we're saying, you know? And then uh, stacks. What do we do? We play area. What does area mean? It means go back to your normal two-back Right. We, we used to call our two back call fish. That's what we called it. You know, so the kids had a terminology that is not their two back rule. That is their slot check. So let's make sure we're on the same page. This is their slot check. This is not their two back call. Right. Yeah. That was just a call we made for our kids. So they understood, hey, is it two back? Is it one back? Is it two back? You know, what is it? Um, but say area. Well, what does area mean? Play the exact same things you did in fist for us. Right. Well, now the corner knows you midpoint. And the seam curl flat defender now, now knows he's a curl flat defender. What did I do as a curl flat defender? The exact same things I did in the two back. I dropped to a curl, right? I'm going to relate to the final number two, right? I'm going to stack the top of the curl. I'm not going to uh, let two out leverage me. Uh, and if two goes underneath, right? And if it's stacked, we consider the same person until after the pattern distribution. So if someone runs shot, I'm going to say under, 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 squeeze back, stack the hook. Look, I'm checking out first cross. Okay. Perfect, Coach. No, no, I, and I, I have two more questions. Back. I have two more questions for you because um, uh, me, me and a buddy of mine were having a conversation the other day about Ripple is and the robot technique, which you just mentioned. How do you teach that to kids, that the civic technique to robot um, to deal with the various crossing patterns and so forth? Yeah, there's two methodologies that you can use. You can use a robot technique, you can use a drift technique. If you're, my opinion, if you're in high school, especially to get, get the depth, I just robot. In the college, we tend to drift, which means get depth and width to the middle hook. So that's understand when they're roboting, they're roboting to the middle hook, right? The offense is making three levels. So now we're making three levels. And so now there's no strong and weak hook. Now there's a middle hook that we have to get to. So we tell them a robot means roll and run to find the drag or dig. And so what we literally do is we have them put their foot in the ground pivot okay and they pivot when they pivot here's something i learned because in most of the time in two by two formations okay the shallow and the digger come from opposite sides most of the time right so just like we talk about when we talk about two by two formations about roboting uh when we get a cut call and it's going to come from the other side in two by two usually comes the same side in three by one unless i got a cut alert a rattler We, I've learned that you actually want to roll over, okay? So a lot of kids will try to roll over on the inside shoulder. You want to roll over on the outside shoulder, okay? And the reason you want to roll over on the outside shoulder is because I can see any routes that come from my side. So if there, it does happen to be a shallow dig concept, a drive concept that comes same side, I can see it as I'm rolling over. And then I'm rolling over into the dig that most likely is coming from the opposite side, right? And I can have an opportunity to make the play. If I roll over my inside shoulder, I'm never going to see anything behind me. Okay. Okay. And so we literally tell them to roll over their outside shoulder, put their foot in the ground, pivot, roll over their outside shoulder. And we tell them to run, like run and scan. I am scanning from one side to the other. And I'm getting as deep as I need to. That is literally what we tell them. Okay. If we drift, Okay, drifting is a little more complicated. It takes a little bit more athleticism. Now, as we get depth and width in the middle hook, what we do is you can either shuffle, shuffle, or you can fast pedal. So, and that a lot of that depends upon are you snap turning and running to the hook, or are you pedaling at it at 45 to the hook? 
if you're pedaling at a 45 to the hook and trying to stay as square as you can, okay, then when you get the shower call and you go to robot or you go to drift, you're going to go from an, uh, like a left angle pedal. It's a weave is what it is. So you're going to weave from the left. Let's say I'm moving to the left to the right. And now I'm going to fast pedal. I got to pedal for depth, pedal for depth, pedal for depth. So I went from like a smooth pedal, a smooth pedal to a fast pedal. And now I'm going at 45 degree angle. That is a, a, a very complicated task for most high school linebackers. Very complicated task, right? Because they're trying to angle pedal and then they start falling down and they can't see the guy, the guy that throws the ball right over their head. <laughs> that happens all the time, right? That's why we tend to robot so I can at least get the pattern matched. The other methodology, if you're like a snap turn run team, is to go from the snap turn run to a shuffle, right? So now I'm going to go snap turn run at the 45 degree angle to get to the top of my drop. I get the undercut. It usually happens before the drop. I finish my drop, right? Yeah. Now I'm going to open my hips up the other direction, right? Shuffle, shuffle. And the reason we shuffle first before we start to run, because a lot of kids will run and overrun it because they can't see it. They're opening their hips to run and they're looking and they run right past the guy. So we open our hips, shuffle, shuffle to get to gain depth and we get towards the middle hook and now we can start to run and match the pattern. And then my, my last question for you, and we've kind of talked about it throughout this, is we, you've, we've talked teaching progressions throughout throughout this, and you've hit on it, and how you're very conceptual. And I would interpret, and I could be wrong about this, that's a very Saban Trieste thing. It's a very one high safety, one high middle of the field close, however you want to word it, thing, compared to um, I've been around, involved in the Palms and the other thing, and it's not necessarily – taught like that and I don't know if that's because there's people I've been around or stuff I've viewed but do you think that that mythology of it's more conceptual so it's more plug and play especially with how open offenses are nowadays for all the way high school on up are that people are more conceptual so if they want to get into a more variety of fronts that's going to be more commonplace or is that still a very okay it's a certain group of people and it's slowly expanding from that group of uh, coaching three yeah good question so what you'll find as you kind of continue to do your research is that in split safety coverage there is a very um plug and play methodology it's just much harder to do so think about it this way right um if i make a call and i'm and they're in a slot formation so slot formation is like a formation where there are three receivers to one side or two receivers to one side and uh, a nub, a tight end flank. I'm just saying it for any viewers out there, right? I could, in a split safety defense, and this happens all the time, match the personnel. So I could bring the corner over, and the corner could play either in slot. This used to happen all the time with, like, TCU, right? Or he could go and play, you know, be the middle runner in Tampa 2. He could be in a split safety concept like Steelers, Seahawks, the, the, what some people call the wall carry player, the guy who has him up and inside. He can do all those. He's doing all those things in split safety, right? You could super rotate, meaning you could bring the high safety down to do one of those things. You bring the corner high to do what the other side safety was doing and then push the backers weak, right? That's all done. And that's all the same plug and play as the middle field stuff, it's just a lot harder because the rules dictate what we do, not the areas of the field dictating what the rules are. So it's a lot harder to conceptualize because I'm for, like 
what we normally do is we look at we look at ripples or look at one high, right? And we're like, okay, there there's these areas of the field. Okay, got the hooks, got the flats, you got the curl area, yada yada yada, you got the seam. Okay, these are what we need to defend. Well, you can do the same thing and play quarters. You can play the quarter hook with corners over, right? You can play a cover two cut technique with the safety playing the cut technique or the corner playing the cut technique. Yeah. You can play the uh, crazy half or whatever you want to call it with the corner playing the half, you know, a roll half. Um, so it's done all the time. What happens a lot of times is it is the trees by which people are in yeah. is they learn a certain methodology whereby it's much harder in high school especially, but in general, to teach all of those rules and all of those methods in split safety defense, whereas in single high defense, it's much more commonplace. Yeah. Just a more commonplace practice to put a guy, put the free safety in the strong hook and then put the strong safety in the strong hook and put a, a D line in the strong hook because it's a creeper and then put the linebacker in the strong hook, right? Like it's much more commonplace practice. That doesn't mean it's not done, you know, in split safety defense. It is. Um, the conceptual teaching, I think, is critical to making sure you don't have one of two things happen with your players: paralysis by analysis and brain drain. So you got real, you got players that get paralysis by analysis, and it's because you don't pedagogically teach it in a particular way. It's not because you gave them too much stuff; it's because they see it as too much stuff. Mm -hmm. Right, because you didn't put it in the proper buckets, you didn't teach it in the proper process that they can process the information. Not, you know, Johnny just doesn't get it. Okay, that causes the paralysis by analysis. I don't know what to do, coach. And then you have the brain drain, and the brain drain happens with really smart players that all of a sudden are are making mistakes. We're like, what is happening here? And that happens when. There's so much information, right? And there's so much being taught that they always reduce it to the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. So coaches who are like, it's just like this. It's just like that. That's brain drain. That's like the opposite factor. Instead of seeing all of these pictures, you're seeing the wrong pictures because it's not just like this. If I say cover one and Ripley's mattress are just like the same thing, they're not just like the same thing. There are principles. There are parts by which one high zone and man match defense have overlap. You have to teach the overlap. You got to teach in a proper process so the kids understand it. But Ripley's match and cover one are not the same. Right. You know what I mean? Um, playing brackets and playing palms are not the same. And so you get brain drain where coaches don't understand it. And so they make it, it play it just like this. Coach, it isn't that. Okay. Now, if it falls within that bucket, then you can say exactly that. You say, coach, you just said that. Like earlier, when you talked about playing flow pass and then playing skate. Well, that's because it's the same thing. Like I taught the same thing. And I used the methodology so the kids could understand it. I literally taught the same. I taught skate when I taught flow pass. I didn't say it's just like skate. Right. So that those kind of two things happen when you don't teach it conceptually because the kids can't understand. They see too many pictures. They see too many pictures in their head. Everything's different all the time. And when that happens, like you're not going to be successful, in my, in my personal opinion. 
Okay, no, perfect. Uh, coaches, obviously, uh, give Coach a follow on Twitter. Uh, it's below. Uh, if you want to find any of his stuff, I mean, again, you can type his name into YouTube, find a bunch of stuff. I know he's got some Coach Tube courses. Um, I know I'm forgetting others. I mean, he's been on Coach Vass's podcast. He's been on, I mean. Ask me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there's there's a billion places you can find his stuff. But like, if you want to find stuff, like I said, YouTube, Coach Tube, uh, so forth, uh, follow him on Twitter. Um etc. Um, otherwise, that wasn't our episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast.